honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. If you are a guest, welcome so much. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, open up to Acts chapter 1. And from the get-go, let me go ahead and warn you, today is going to be a heavy message. It's, it's going to be a, a little difficult. And because of that, I want to open up with an embarrassing story about myself. Now, there's a lot of different stories I could tell, but uh, I found one this week that I thought would be applicable to the message. What was the earliest memory that you have? Think way back when in your childhood, what is the earliest memory? My earliest memory is when um, my grandmother forgot to pick me up from school. Uh, a lot of inner healing I need to go through. I just, I don't know why, but I just remember that one because actually I think my first memory was watching, I think I was like three, maybe four years old. Um, my older brother was uh, watching me and we were watching Friday the 13th. And so that was my earliest memory is Jason murdering people. But, um, but what was your earliest memory? Now, as a parent, think about your, your, your children. Now, your kids, oftentimes, they just bring up stuff all the time. Like, how do you remember that, right? My daughter, Esther, right here, she is six years old. And I'm learning that she remembers everything. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes. Like, how do you remember that? Uh, I hope she wouldn't even notice, but yet here she is. And one of the earliest memories that she likes to bring up all the time is she says, Daddy, do you remember when you sprained your ankle, had to wear a boot uh, from jumping on the trampoline? And I'm like... Yeah, I do. Why, how do you remember that? You were two. So let me go ahead and tell you this story. We were at a three-year-old's birthday party at Jump World. And I thought, you know, I'm going to impress all these three-year-olds with my backflip skills. And we arrive, and I wasn't even there for five minutes, and I start jumping on the trampolines, and I do a double bounce across two trampolines, off the wall, backflip, pop. As soon as I landed, I hear my ankle pop. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's not good. That is not good. So here's what I heard in my head. I heard my pawpaw going, walk it off. Just walk it off. And so I'm like, oh, it can't be that bad. I'm just going to walk it off. And so here's what I did. I just kept jumping on it for 20 minutes thinking it was going to make it better. So I'm like, oh, this, it's going to get better eventually. One of these times it's going to get better. So for 20 extra minutes, I'm jumping on my ankle that is very hurt. And so eventually I tapped out and I turned in my man card and I went and sat down. And as I took off my sock, I noticed that my ankle was swollen like the size of a cantaloupe and it was already starting to turn black. And so I was like, all right, guys, I'm out. Uh, I need to go to the ER. So immediately I drove to the ER and they were like, yep, you're right. It's sprained, but you also tore a ligament and continuing to jump on it didn't actually help. In fact, it actually made it worse. And so I had to wear a bionic boot for about three months. And I even had to wear, I had to sit down while preaching. Like, can you imagine me sitting down while preaching? You can't because it didn't happen. Um, I was supposed to, but I kept jumping up and down in worship and, and while I was preaching. And I refused to wear the boot until eventually they were like, Byron, if you do not wear this boot and let your ankle heal properly, it's going to cause pain longer down the line. It could even lead to chronic pain and arthritis. You need to let your ankle heal. And so I put a all my pride and stubbornness, and I wore the boot. So you're like, well, what does that have to do with the message today? Well, here's what we're going to talk about today is how God heals our hurts. And the same way that I had to wear this boot and take care of my ankle, 
and I had a sprained ankle and torn ligaments, there's a lot of us who have a broken heart and a wounded soul. And the same way that we need to care for our bodies physically is the same way that God wants to care for our hearts emotionally and also spiritually. Because just like us thinking that time heals all wounds, that's just not true. In fact, time doesn't heal all wounds. Sometimes time makes those wounds worse. The longer we neglect it, the longer we overlook it, the longer we refuse to deal with it, the harder it is for us to experience healing on into our future. And here's what I know about so many people is if you don't heal from your past, it's going to eventually affect your future as well because you're going to carry those hurts. You're going to carry those pains. You're going to carry the wounds that you've gone through, and they're going to repeat themselves over and over again in your life, and it's going to damage relationships not just your relationships with other people, but also your relationships with God. Why? Because time does not heal all wounds, but as we're gonna see today, Jesus does. That Jesus can, will, and does heal, not just our bodies physically, but our hearts spiritually, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And God wants to heal us so that way we can be people who help others experience his love and his grace. And so we're going to see how God heals our hurts. If you have your Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 16, and we're going to read it all up front, make a few observations, and then I'm going to give you five ways that you can experience healing for your soul. Here's what we see starting off in verse 15. In those days, what were those days? It was the early church. That's what we're studying through the book of Acts. Acts is the blueprint, the model, the guide, God's dream for the church. It's the day that the church started 2,000 years ago. And here's the theme that we've been using through this series is that what God did for them, God wants to do for us. And that if God did it then, God can do it again. If God did it for them, God can do it here. And so we're learning from the church so that way we can learn how to be the church. So going all the way back in those days, we see that there is 10 days post-ascension and pre-Pentecost. They're in a 10-day long prayer meeting. First Wednesdays this week, come to the prayer meeting. It's been two weeks since the, two, two months since the crucifixion of Jesus. The disciples, they're in the upper room. And what we're gonna notice is that they are praying. They're, they're praying together. And then as they are praying, it says, Peter stood up among the brothers. That's the church. The company of persons was all together 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us. He was one of the 12. So Judas, hand-selected by Jesus, was one of the disciples. Three years in Jesus' inner entourage, personal ministry, being trained up by Jesus. And then he was allotted among us, shared in the ministry, saw everything Jesus did. Now this man acquired a field, and with the reward of his wickedness, 30 pieces of silver, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. So Judas committed suicide, hung himself, tied himself to a tree, jumped off the side of the cliff to hang himself very violently. The tree limb broke, he fell off the cliff, hit the rocks on the way, and then his intestines spilled out as he committed suicide. Just giving you the full story, you're welcome. And it says this, it says, 
And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one dwell in it. Let another one take his office, so that of the men who accompanied us during the time that the Lord Jesus went out among us, beginning in the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, jo Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also also called Justice and Matthias. And they entered and they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two that you have chosen to take the place in his ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lots fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, I love that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, puts this story right here in Acts chapter 1. Because what it shows me is this, is that God has a lot of things that he wants to accomplish and do through the church. And there's also things that God wants to do and accomplish inside of their lives. When you're looking back on everything we just read, it's, it's pretty intense. Imagine the things that the disciples had walked through and gone through over the past three months. And the Lord has great work that he wants to do through the disciples. We're going to read 28 chapters of basically miracles and signs and wonders and healings and, and prophecy. It's going to be amazing. But in order for them to make it through those other chapters, first they got to get through chapter 1. And what happens in chapter 1? Chapter 1 is where God begins to deal with the things in their past. In order for you to accomplish the things God wants to do in your future, you have to first learn how to deal with the things that have happened to you in your past. Listen, here, here's what's going to happen next week. We're preaching Pentecost. Now, all my Pentecostal charismatics, where are you at? Come on. If you're Pentecostal, raise both hands. I know you want to. You're like, shabba-dabba-doo, right? You're ready. You're ready. You're like, I've been waiting for pastor. Tongues of fire and glory and winds and the Holy Ghost, right? Not just the Holy Spirit. Like, some of y'all got the Holy Spirit. Others got the Holy Ghost, like, you know what I'm saying, right? And so all my Baptist friends are like, this. I don't, I'm nervous. I don't know, I'm coming back next week. I'm not nervous. Listen, just to make it easy, right? We're not Baptist. We're not Pentecostal. We're Bapticostal here, right? We're a biblical church. We love the Bible. And listen, if you were Baptist and you're scared of the, the talking about the, the Holy Spirit, listen, John, John the Baptist, he's the one who said, there will be another one coming who will baptize you in fire. Listen, John the Baptist, baptism in the Spirit is not a Pentecostal doctrine. John was a Baptist, and he taught on it too, so come on. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Pastor Joe Corny, I'll probably use it again next week. But anyway, here's what we see is that next week is Pentecost. But first, before we get to Pentecost, we have to deal with our pain. We have to deal with the suffering. We have to address the hurts so that God can heal them so that way we can move forward in victory and power. Listen, over the course of the book of Acts, there's going to be 29 miracles, 29 instances of divine healing. We're going to see the dead be raised. We're going to see cripples walk again. We're going to see blind eyes be opened. We're going to see prophecies and, and miracles and, and healings. But the first healing that happens in the book of Acts happens in chapter one. It's the healing of the hearts of the disciples. Listen, here's what you know. Before God works through you, he has to work in you. Before God works through you, he has to work in you. I believe that every single one of you, God has a great work 
to do through your life. God wants to use you for his glory. God wants to to be able to, to bless you, to bless others. You have gifts and talents and abilities, and you were put here on this earth to make a difference in this world. Every single one of you was made on purpose and for a purpose, and God has great purposes for your life. What's the key verse in all the book of Acts? You will be my witnesses. God wants you to be his witness. And that's not just in the side, the walls of this church, but it's in our homes. It's in our community. It's in our city. It's in this nation and all around the world. It's not just your role on a small group or on a serve team, or if you're on the platform, but it's the way that you love your wife like Jesus loves the church. It's the way that a wife is to honor her husband. It's the way you raise your kids. It's the relationships you have with your coworkers or classmates or your brothers and sisters and enemies and friends and your family. It's the relationships you build at the gym or at the barista at the Starbucks or the person who's checking out your coffee or the person who cut you off in traffic, whoever it is. You are to be a witness everywhere you go, but it's hard to be a witness when you're wounded. And unless we let God heal our hearts, we're going to carry that hurts into every other relationship that happens. And so what we want to learn how to do today is before we get to Pentecost, we want to process the pain. God wants to heal our hearts. Here's the saying, hurt people, hurt people. Have you ever, have you ever, heard, have you ever noticed that? that? That when you're hurt or when someone's hurt, what happens? They end up they end up spilling out everywhere else. But here's what we see is that healed people help people heal in the name of Jesus. And so as a church, who do we want to be? Do we want to be a bunch of hurt people who just go around continuing to hurt people? Or do we want to be a church that experiences the inner healing that Christ has so we can help other people find healing and hope in the name of Jesus? So before God does anything through our church, first we have to allow him to do a work in our hearts. And that's what we're going to see today. So let me give you five ways you can experience inner healing. The first thing we see is this. Learning from the disciples in Acts chapter 1, we notice that they start with prayer. Now, we are an expository church. So what does that mean? Is that we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Here we are, week four, and we're in chapter 1. There's 28 other chapters. We're going to be here for a while, just letting you know, in the book of Acts. Okay, and, and in order to understand the text, that's what this is. It's a text. In order to understand the text, we have to understand the context. We can't just pick and choose verses out of context. we got to understand them in the text that they're in. And so what is the context of Acts chapter 1? It's all one giant prayer meeting. The entire chapter 1, it takes place in a prayer meeting. Last week we noticed it. For 10 days, they are praying and praying and praying, and it's in the middle of that time of prayer, God begins to bring up their past. God begins to reveal it. Why? Because God wants to heal it. The longer you spend time with God in prayer, the more junk he's going to bring to the surface. And he's not bringing it to the surface to to shame you, but but to free you. He's not bringing it up to hurt you, but so that way you can experience healing. Listen, when God brings something up, don't push it down. Don't, don't neglect it. Don't overlook it. Don't forget about it. No, you need to learn to deal with it so you can begin to heal from it. It's all context in a, a prayer meeting. And here's what I know is that prayer is conversation. That's what it is. It's just you talking to God. It's conversation because it's about a relationship. God is a father. He loves you like a, like a father loves his kids. And in order to have any type of healthy relationship, you need to have honesty. 
you got to be honest with God about your hurts, about your past, about the, the shame and the trauma and the pain that you felt in your life. You need to bring that God to God and you need to be honest. And here's why. Because God cannot heal what you hide. Let me say it over these people. Right, y'all are paying attention. I'm, they're not ignoring me right now. Okay, God cannot heal what you hide. You need to understand this. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's not that he can't. It's not that he's unwilling or unable, but you're holding on to it and you're not giving it up to him. And he can't heal what you hide and he can't, he can't bless who you pretend to be. You got to get honest with God. Just like any other relationship, you have to be honest with him. And listen, here's the thing is, is that, that you're not going to tell God anything that he, he, he's never heard before, Right? You're not going to tell God anything that he doesn't already know. It's not like you're like, okay, God, I haven't told you this before, but I just want you to know. He's like, I already know. I'm just glad you finally came to me with it. You're not going to tell God anything. He's going to be like, oh, my me. (laughs) No, he already knows. That's why you need to learn to bring it to him so that way he can heal it. It, it, it starts with prayer. Just, just think about the, the emotionally connect with the disciples for just a little bit. Like, what have they been through over the last 40 days? Here's what they've gone through. They've witnessed their leader, Messiah, Jesus, be brutally murdered, hung on a cross by the Roman government and religious leaders. Why? Because their best friend, Judas, one of the 12, betrayed him. And not, he didn't even, he didn't even stab him in the back. He stabbed him in the front, betrayed him with a kiss. And so now they're hiding in an upper room, afraid that what they did to Jesus, they're going to come. Every knock on the door, their heart begins to race more because they could be us next time. Wow. They're fearful. They're afraid. They're, they're anxious. They're hiding, scared for their lives. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is back. Like, whoa, hey, that's a turn of events. And now he's back. And they're like, yes, Jesus is back. And then he leaves again. Aw. I, I want you to, like, This is what psychologists call complex trauma. It's not just one event, but it's one event that triggers dozens of events that follow through. So let me give you some examples so you can understand, right? Maybe you got in a car wreck. Okay, so that was the event. Now there's all the physical therapy that you have to walk through. There's you losing your job, being out of work. Now your bills are piling up. Now, you're, now, now you can't pay your bills. And then you and your spouse, you start fighting because now they have to take care of you. And then all the family, you see how it all spiderwebs into all these different events? Or maybe you get a divorce. Well, it's not just you and your spouse are no longer together. Now you gotta figure out what you're gonna do with the house, what you're gonna do with the kids, how you're gonna do your finances, how you divide all this stuff up. Then there's the in-law, then there's the gossip, and then there's all the other people talking. Then there's the deep, all this is, is a cycle. It's called complex trauma. It's where one thing triggers dozens of things. It's not just one hurt, but it's deep wounds. The event was Judas betraying him, but everything that followed continued to add complexities and pain to their hearts and to their souls. And and here's what they do. As they're praying, God begins to bring all these different things up. And God begins to bring it all to the surface. Why? Because he wants them to be able to heal from that. So here's my question for you. I'm going to ask a series of questions. Every time we kind of get through one of these points, I want to ask you a question. Here's my question for you. What are you hiding from God? What event, what circumstance, what are you afraid to talk to God about? That's a place of pain you need healing from. What are you trying to hide from God? The second thing they do is this. Not only do they start with prayer, but then they surround themselves with friends. I love what it says here. Peter stands up and he says, brothers, what's he doing? 
He's including other people into the process of his healing. He's inviting people into the process. And then it says there's about 120 of them. This is the early church. So when they're hurting, what are they doing? They're running to God and they're running to the church because there is healing to be found in relationships. Now, there's a common misconception when people think about Christians. They say, oh, well, Christians, you know, you know, people run to God when they hit rock bottom, which is true. That's oftentimes what wakes us up to, to, to repent and come back to faith. Yes, that's true. But here's what I've noticed as a pastor is that they may be true for non-believers, but for Christians, normally when they hit rock bottom, they don't run to God, they run from him. Yeah. And they don't run to the church, they run from the church. That's normally what I, I see happen. Because like, let's say there's some major sin issue in your life. Well, you don't run to your small group, you just stop answering their phone calls. Or maybe there's, there, there's like, like maybe the cancer's back or you lose a spouse or you lose a loved one. Here's what happens. The, the grief, it overwhelms you to where instead of getting up and being in these altars on Sunday morning, it's difficult for you to even get out of the bed. And then people call and you don't answer the phone. And then when you stop answering, then you get upset because then you say that people didn't call you. Right? And what, what, what happens is this, is, is people don't run to the church, oftentimes in pain. People run from the church. They withdraw, they disassociate, and they isolate. And here's what happens when people begin to isolate. When you isolate, you think you're protecting yourself from any future hurt, but you're not protecting yourself. You're actually creating a prison. Yeah. Here's why. Because isolation is a prison that you build for yourself. Right? You, think you're, you think you're keeping people out, but really you're just locking yourself in. Wow. And now you're trapped inside this prison cell with only yourself, with the thoughts, with the, 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 the actions, reliving the worst day of your life over and over again. What if I should have done this? What if I could have done that? What if this would have happened? What if I would have said this? Oh, I wish I could have done this. And you're living in a hypothetical world that will never exist. You are torturing yourself over and over again, reliving a past that you will never be able to escape. It's a prison. It's not protecting you. It's hurting you. And you know what the number, you know what the worst punishment you can give to somebody in the prison systems here? Solitary confinement. You are punishing yourself when you isolate. And you know why it's so sad? It's because most of you, you're punishing yourselves for things that you didn't even do. You're punishing yourself for what somebody else did to you because you think you deserve it because of the shame and the condemnation, because of the guilt that the enemy wants to keep washing over you because when he has you away from the community of faith, he has you exactly where he wants you because you are no longer going to be an effective witness for Jesus because you're so wounded, you won't accomplish anything. Isolation is a prison that you build for yourself. So instead of running from God, what do we need to do? We need to run to him. Instead of, instead of retreating, we need, to, we need to lean in. Instead of ignoring our friends, we need to surround ourselves with friends. Amen. And so here, here's my question for you. Are you living in community or have you isolated yourself? Are you letting people in or are you pushing them away? The only thing worse than suffering is suffering by yourself. Don't suffer alone. There is a community. I don't know if you have a church, but Redemption would love to be your church. Next week, we have next steps. If you are 
lonely and isolated, come to Next Steps, get plugged in with us. We'd love to get you in a small group on a serve team. We even have crisis care counselors on staff and a team of care counselors that would love to be able to have a conversation with you. And if we can't help you, we have relationships with therapists here in Southeast Texas that we can send you to. I see a therapist, his name's Mark, every single Wednesday at 11 o'clock for the last three years. Best thing in my life. Right now, saved my life, okay? So listen, there's nothing wrong with getting help. Please get help. Stop hurting yourself and stop hurting other people. So start with prayer, surround yourself with friends. And then I love this one, number three, it says study the Bible. Look what Peter says right here in verse 18. He says, brothers, okay, there's the community again. He says, brothers, he says, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. He said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. What is he doing? He's quoting the Bible. Like everything we have, it needs to always go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? What's in the word? What does the word say? Everything has to go back to the Bible, especially whenever we are hurting. Here's what I want you to understand is when you're in difficult situations, when your circumstances surround you, there's pain, there's suffering and trauma. Here's what I need you to understand is that we do not judge our experiences we do not judge the Bible, rather, by our experiences. We judge our experiences by the Bible. Say, so, well, what, what do I mean by that? Here, here's what I mean. John 10, 10 says this, that Jesus comes that you might have life and life abundantly. Praise the Lord. I'm the head, not the tail, the first, not the last, right? Woo, okay? And then you look at your circumstances, and you're like, I am definitely not living this abundant life. God must not be real. The Bible must not be true. God must have abandoned me. You know, the verse says that he will never leave you, forsake you, but I feel like he has. And so this all must be a bunch of nonsense. So I'm just going to take it and I'm going to toss it because it's not applicable to my life. Okay, listen, you cannot build a theology off of one verse, right? This is a big book, guys, <laughs> 66 of them actually. And there's a lot of verses in here, okay? So we can't just take one verse out of context and then apply it. We cannot, judge our, our, we cannot judge the Bible by our experiences, but we must judge our experiences by the Bible. And that's what, that's what he's doing here. What is he doing? He, he says, hey, do y'all remember David? King David, you know David? Yeah, he went through something very similar to this. He's the man after God's own heart, right? He, he, he killed a giant. He killed a bear. He, 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 he led a nation. He was the king. Oh, yeah, but also he was betrayed, just like us. Oh, David, yeah, David knows what it's like to be on the mountaintop, but he knows what it's like to be in the valley of the shadow of death. David knows what it's like to be out in the fields for 13 years because his family rejected him, hiding in a cave for another 20, anointed as a king, as a boy, had to wait till he was 30 years old before he ever saw the promises of God fulfilled in his life. David knows what it's like to be betrayed. Even his own son, Absalom, tried to kill him. He spent 30 years being hunted and thrown with spears, running for his life. You think, you think David understands trauma? Yeah. Absolutely. And so in these moments, here's what he's doing. He's, you got to remind yourself of the stories of the Bible. Remind yourself, I am not alone. This is not unique. This is normal to the experience of the Christian life. I need to study the Bible so I can apply it to my situation. 
And, and what, is this? what do we see in David's life? What do we see in these Bible characters' lives, in Peter's life? What do we see is the, the theme of the Bible is this, that God always takes what's evil and turns it around for what's good. That God would always use our, our greatest trials to bring forth testimonies in our life. The Bible says that, that those who are called according to his purpose, God works all things around for those who are called according to him. God will be able to take that mess and turn it into a ministry. He will take that test and turn it into a testimony because God wastes nothing. God will use anything for his glory and for your good. The most painful places you go through for many people becomes the purpose for the rest of their life. Their deepest misery becomes their greatest ministry. And here's why I know this. Because I do, I believe this, that God does not cause suffering, but I believe that if you trust him, he will use it. God doesn't cause suffering, but if you allow him to heal you, he will use it to help others. There's an entire branch of theology known as theodicy. Theodicy is the study of suffering. Like why, 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 why do bad things happen? Like if God's good, then why do bad things happen? And it's very deep because most of the time our wounds are very deep. But let me make it a little simple for you. Like here, here's what I believe is that, is that God does not cause it, but he will use it. Here's why. If we go all the way back to the very beginning, the original intention and purposes of God, Genesis 1.1, did God create the world evil? He created it what? Very good. Not just good, very good. God did not create evil. So we look around, and this world looks pretty evil right now. I don't know if you've seen the news. It's not getting better. Time does not heal all wounds. Sometimes it makes it worse. So why is the world the way that it is? Well, it's not God's fault. It's sin. Sin comes into the world. Adam and Eve rebelled, fell, sinned. Death comes in. The wages of sin is death. The price for sin is death. Death comes in the world, everything else is destroyed. God did not create cancer. Let me just fix some of y'all's theology here, because that's what some people think. God gave me cancer. No, 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 no. God did not create cancer. God did not create famine. God did not create plagues. God did not create hurricanes. God did not create tornadoes. God did not create COVID. Some of y'all think it was created by the government, but God did not create it. God didn't create rape. God didn't create car crashes. This is not, this is not God. We made it. They asked G.K. Chesterton. He's a, he's a, he's a philosopher and a, and, a, and, a, and a Christian apologist. And he said, they wrote G.K. Chesterton and they said, what is the cause for all the problems in the world? And he wrote a letter back in the newspaper just Two letters, me. Because we are. God didn't cause this. We did. And this is the whole reason Jesus came. Jesus came to reverse the curse of sin and bring life. Jesus came so that way we might be healed. That we don't have to keep living the way that we live. That a new life, a new way is possible. And when the second coming of Christ returns, he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And every tear will be wiped away. Every disease will be healed. And every hurt and every hardship will be made known. And we will see him face to face. And we will bask in his glory forever. And there will be no evil. And there will be no pain. And we'll be with him forever in glory. He's going to rewrite everything. But in the meantime... They're suffering. 
In the meantime, there, there, there is pain. In the meantime, there is hardships that we experience and that we go through. But I do not believe that God causes our sufferings. No, no, no. I believe that God will use our sufferings when we learn to trust in him. Which brings us to an important question, because as of right now, we've just been looking at the healing that's taken place inside of the apostles. We see Peter. He stood up. Peter! Peter! But I know some of you are like, he hasn't talked about Judas yet. So let's take a moment. Let's talk a little bit about, about Judas. Because I know every single one of us, as we're reading through this, we're like, I know a Judas. It's probably what you're thinking. That place of pain is caused by a, a Judas. We all have a, a Judas, but here's what I want you to to connect with a sec. You know, we live in a society that tells everyone they're victims. That's our entire society. You're a victim. Everybody's a victim. Nobody takes responsibility for every, anything. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. But you know, you're a villain in somebody else's story too. Because wow. right now, all you've been thinking about is how they hurt me. I bet if I, I, bet if I go ask somebody else, They'll tell me a story about how you hurt them. Because there is no innocent victims in this room. Because we've all been Peter, and every single one of us has been a Judas. We've been hurt, and we've hurt others. We've been wounded, we've been wounding others. We've been a victim, and we've been a villain. Somebody is probably thinking about you right now. So what do we do when we're not the betrayed, but the betrayer? Here's what, here's what we see in, in this story is, is Judas took his own life. Matthew actually gives us a little bit more insight into the story, and here's how it goes here. Matthew 27, 3 said, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they said? See to yourself. It's not our problem. It's yours. Throwing down the piece of silver into the temple, he turns the money back over. He departed and went and hung himself. What is Judas doing? What is he doing? He's trying to make it right. He's trying to undo what he did. He says, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. How do I make it right? How do I fix this problem? He's trying everything that he can do to do what? To heal himself. This is the danger of the self-help movement in our society. Is you think you can fix yourself. You think that on your own works, on your own efforts, based upon your own merit, then, then you can wash away your sins. You can't. And what happens is people end up, ripped. this is why every Barnes & Noble, every, the largest section self-help. You know why? Because they bought a book. It didn't work. They're trying to buy another book. People are doing whatever they can to be able to heal themselves. It does not work. We are not healed by our efforts, but by his grace. Just imagine this picture. Like, like, like did Judas have to, to, to die? I don't believe that he did. I don't believe he did. If the thief on the cross can be in heaven like that, what excludes Judas? Right? Because Judas is trying to punish himself. Jesus was already punished in his place for his sins. The atonement was available for everybody, past, present, and future. If the atonement can go back to Adam and Eve for their sins, and it can go forward for our sins, why would it not be available for his right there in that moment? 
Could you imagine the, the portrait of the gospel, like the story we could tell as Christians about the power of the grace of God if when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he looked down and Judas was right there. It was available for him. But he did not seek healing in the right place. And so it drove him mad. So eventually, tragically, he took his own life. But yet here we see Peter. You know, Peter betrayed Jesus too. Three times. Don't know this man. I never met him in my life. Curse his name. Abandon Jesus. But yet here he is. Why, 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 why? Why was Peter forgiven and why did Judas hang himself? I think there's a, there's a difference. They both felt bad, but one did something about it. There's a difference between remorse and repentance. Right? Remorse is when you feel bad about something. Repentance is when you give it to Jesus. Remorse is when you feel guilty. Repentance is when you receive grace. Remorse is taking it in your own hands. Repentance is giving it to God. Remorse leads to despair. Tragically, for some, taking their own life. Repentance is just is giving your life to Jesus. And one experienced remorse, but the others felt repentance. And one was forgiven, and one was not. One was healed, and one hurt themselves. What we need to do when we take that pain, we need to start with prayer. Then number two, we need to what? Surround ourselves with friends. Number three, we need to study the Bible. Which leads to number four, we need to surrender to God. We, we surrender to God. There, there's, this, there, there's this throwaway line that all week long is really just ministered to my heart. And I thought, man, why is this sticking out to me every time? Why has God highlighted it? I want to read it to you. And here's what it says. It says, let another take his office. Look down, look down right here. Verse 20 says, let another take his office. He stands up. Now, obviously here he's, he's, he's quoting the Bible and what he's referring to is called apostolic succession. Okay. So if we were in seminary class, here's what we would say. Um, the purpose of this text in selecting of Matthias to be the next apostle is so that there would be a continuation of leadership from the old covenant to the new covenant. In the old covenant, God selected 12 men to be the leaders of the tribes of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was called to be the witness of God to the world. And so in the old covenant, there was 12 tribes of Israel that were God's witnesses. The transition from the old to the new covenant through the death, burial, resurrection, now we don't have the nation of Israel, now we have the, the church. And just like there was 12 tribes, there now needs to be 12 apostles because those apostles will be the foundation, the establishment. Now the continuation between the old covenant and new covenant is guaranteed. If we were in seminary class, you guys can all be dismissed. But this is not seminary. This is a sermon. And so there needs to be more to understand to this. And, and here's what I think that it is. How do we know that Peter is being healed? Because he was betrayed, and yet here he is trusting again. He's inviting somebody else into his life. What happens to so many of us when we experience betrayal? We stop trusting. When we experience someone who hurts us, here's what we say. Nobody will ever do that to me again. You know what that's called? It's called 
It's called an inner vow. An inner vow is a promise you make to yourself that doesn't include God. It's a covenant. You made a covenant and you excluded God from that. You made a law that was not a part of God's laws. You made an inner vow. And the way you get inner healing from inner vows is through forgiveness. You got to learn how to forgive. You have to learn how to forgive. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, Byron, your time's almost up. Quit teaching on forgiveness (laughs) because it hurts. But you need to learn how to forgive, how to forgive them. Forgive them for what they did to you. You got to forgive them. And here's why. Because forgiveness is a gift. It's a gift. That's why the word giving is in it. Forgiving. And it's a gift that God gives, not to them, but to you. Forgiveness is for you. It's a gift for you. Because when you give God your pain, God will give you his peace, his protection, and his joy. Listen, it takes two people to be reconciled. It only takes one person to forgive. Forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation. That's between them and God. But you need to learn how to forgive them. Because here's what happens if you don't forgive. You're only hurting yourself. Here's the saying, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Because at night you're thinking about what happened. And I can guarantee you right now, you're probably thinking about that person or that thing or that event, what they did to you, you know what? They're not thinking about you at all. They've already moved past it, but you haven't. And you're reliving it and rehearsing it. And because you haven't forgiven it, you're going to keep reliving it until you learn how to forgive it. You got to forgive. You got to forgive. And I hear the room, it's just like all, all, every service is like, but you don't know what they did to me. I don't. You're, you're right. I honestly, I don't know what they did to you, but I know what this is doing to you. And it's hurting you. Say, I can't forget. I'm not asking you to forget. I'm asking you to forgive. And there's a difference between forgiving and forgetting. I mean, you don't have to forget what they did. That's why sometimes I meet people and they're like, they're like, 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 but, but, but why do they keep bringing it up? Because they've already, for, like, listen, they, they might have forgiven you, but they have not forgotten what you did. And I tell people, you shouldn't forget. You, you should remember, because if you don't remember the past, you'll repeat the past. But if you don't forgive the past, you'll relive the past. So catch 22. You need to learn how to forgive. And, and, and look, look, look at the apostles, right? Here's expository preaching. Let's go back to Acts 1.1. Who is the author of the book? Luke. Who is the first name mentioned? Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Theophilus hired Luke, a physician, to investigate the claims of the early church. Luke, 15 years later, meets up with the apostles, takes out a pen and paper, asks them, how did the church begin? And they said, before Pentecost happened, there was a healing in our hearts. Let me tell you a little bit about Judas. And then they go on into extreme graphic detail about the death of Judas, all the way to his intestines spilling out. Oh, they remembered everything. They didn't forget anything. But they didn't allow that to prevent them from doing great things for God. They didn't forget it, but they forgave it. And you shouldn't forget it, but you do need to forgive it. 
So, so here's my question for you. My, my question for you is this. What do you need to surrender to God? Maybe I should ask it this way. Who do you need to surrender to God? Because if you don't, you won't heal. Which leads to number five, the last point, is this. We've got to stand up and you've got to move forward. So we start with prayer, we surround ourselves with friends, we study the Bible, we surrender to God, and then we stand up and move forward. I love how, here's how the story ends. It says, you, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these, the two, have chosen to take the place in ministry, apostleship from Judas, and turned aside and going to his own place. They cast lots for them, and they fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Here we see the apostolic succession is in place. The 12 apostles are together again. They got the band back together, and so now they can move forward, all right? But here's what we, we notice. After this, they go on and they experience Pentecost. They experience a move of God that we're praying and believing for, that we have never seen anything like this happen before. But first, before they could move forward, they had to heal. And listen, here's, here's what I want you to kind of take away from this is this. If you can't talk about your past, it's not in your past. If you can't talk about your past, it's not in your past, and that means you're not past it. If you haven't healed from your past, it's not in your past. It is your present, and unless you address it today, it will be waiting for you in your future. They had to get over this hurt in Acts 1 because God had plans for them in Acts 2. In Acts 3, in Acts 4, they had to deal with it in 1 so it didn't resurface in chapter 21. In chapter 26, here's what we see. Judas is never mentioned again throughout all of the Bible. It's not like they're sitting there in a prison cell in Acts 16 saying, oh, you know what, man, I just can't believe Judas did that to us. It's not like when the man comes up and asking for money, he said, silver and gold, I have none, but let me tell you this time that Judas betrayed me. They're not bringing it up over and over again. It's not even mentioned. You know why? Because they got past their past. They moved past it. And they were able to let God use it to help other people. Listen, if you can't talk about your past, it's not in your past. It is in your present. And you're going to carry it with you into your future. There's too much at stake for the church. We are called to be as witnesses, to seek and to help and to bless. And we can't help others when we're hurting ourselves. We're witnesses with deep wounds. God wants to heal because he has so much more for all of us and our past is robbing us of our future. If you don't heal from it, you will always experience this. But the good news is, church, there is healing that is available for you in the name of Jesus. You can be healed. Your past can be forgiven. Your presence can have peace. And your future can have purpose. Here's what I believe next week. Pentecost, Acts 2. Revival. 3,000 people get saved. The Holy Ghost falls. It launches the birth of the church. 
And then healing after healing and miracle after miracle and testimony and salvation. So many baptisms, they don't even have time to take a break. As I'm praying for, I'm believing for, I sense that there is a soon coming revival that is about to happen, not just in our church, but all across the nation. As the world gets darker, the church shines brighter. And when people are surrounded by lies, they are starving for the truth. And there is a revival that is about to pour out. Get your hearts ready, because that's where revival starts. It starts in the heart. Revival starts with us. Revival starts right here. Revival didn't start in Pentecost. No, revival didn't start in two. Revival started in one when the disciples let God get a hold of their hearts and heal from their past. And unless you heal from your past, you will be ineffective in your witness because those wounds are so deep. I want for you to experience the healing that God has for you. Because so many of us, like me, with a sprained ankle, so stubborn that I refused to let it heal, many of us, we are stubborn and we have broken hearts and wounded souls and we are not, we're neglecting the healing God wants to do. And if we don't, it's going to cause greater pain longer and longer and longer down on the line in our lives. We got to heal. We got to heal.